It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It is Thursday night, and a UFC show is two days away. Of course, you know what that means. It's time for the MBA DFS strategy show right here at awesomeo.com. As we're here to break down UFC Vegas number 18 goes down on Saturday inside the UFC Apex there in Las Vegas. Of course, that is a fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. I am Jason Floyd here to break this one down for you, Pete. As Pete, we're about to go into a stretch. I believe it's now... 12 out of the next 13 weeks we have ufc fight cards yeah it feels like it's been forever since our last show and i you know it kind of caught me by surprise i didn't even know that we were you know off a week but uh it's nice to be back the last card was insane some shocking turns of events and some crazy upsets and uh you know i'm excited to get into this long stretch of fights I'll tell you, let's, let's get right into it with the main event of Alistair Overeem and Alexander Volkov looking at the DraftKings salaries for this one. 8600 for Volkov, 7600 for Alistair Overeem over on the FanDuel side of things. $21 for Volkov, 18 for Overeem. Uh, obviously, we all know about the Ream, um, but let, let's start off with the favorite here in Alexander Volkov. Not a guy that I think we necessarily look at as a power puncher, but uh, you know, break it down for us here. Uh, of what do you what do you like out of Alexander Volkov in this matchup? Well, Alexander Volkov, he's uh, you know he's a tall, rangy guy for the division. You know, he's a you know, six seven athlete, and uh, you know has good volume for being a heavyweight, and actually has some good dexterity in his legs as well. Um, you know, he's not really a power puncher where most heavyweights are, and he's a 
uh, volume type of fighter. Um, you know, not the, the fastest guy there, but uh, he, he definitely puts combinations together well, has some great wins, um, good killer instinct. And uh, I think that the, the one hole in his game can be, you know, you can, you can say it's his take down the fence. And uh, we saw Curtis Blades take advantage of that in their previous fight. And I think, uh, you know, obviously Volkov needs to keep this on the feet and avoid the clinch as long as he, you know, for as long as he can against Alistair Overeem. That's not going to be an easy task because Overeem's excellent at closing the distance and enjoys to be in the clinch to try now to take people down where, you know, Overeem in the past was a, you know, a, a K1 striker, good kickboxing, and has really started to evolve his game and implement takedowns. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you are going to be a ream backer in this one, that's got to be a big part of the thought process of potentially going for a takedown. Miles already checking in in the chat saying, who's the better striker? Eileen Ream seems like he has the power. Uh, I, I, You know, this is one, it's an interesting one because I could see where Volkov just keeps this fight a little bit out of range, is able to stop the takedowns here. But I, I think there's no doubt about it. The Ream's got the power advantage in the fight. Yeah, I think I think Alistair Overeem clearly has the power advantage, and uh, you know, in his younger days, would have the striking advantage. Now, I don't think that he has the striking advantage anymore. Honestly, I do think that Alexander Volkov has the ability to pick him apart, and I, I think that the the height, the range of Volkov can cause Overeem some problems. And we have seen Overeem over the years. You know, he doesn't like to get hit, and the reason he doesn't like to get hit is he's been knocked out at a 21% clip of his fights. So he's been knocked out a, a, a ton, and he's had a ton of fights. He's taken so much damage. His overall record's 47-18, and 12-7 and 7 in the UFC. And, uh, you know, if you think about a lot of Overeem fights, he's always having to kind of overcome some adversity. And, uh, you know, you think about the Walt Harris, what Walt Harris did to him. And ultimately ran out of gas, and that kind of opened the door for Overeem to kind of, you know, kind of get back into the fight and, uh, you know, start to chain together some some good grappling situations and some awesome uh, ground and pound. But I think that Volkov is the better striker here today, and uh, I think that it's going to be a good fight. I'm not really backing Overeem so much this week, Jason. And you know, I love Alistair Overeem. I've been a fan from K1 days, but I like Alexander Volkov quite a bit. I, I think that. I don't know. I, I think that he doesn't make as many mistakes as Overeem does at this stage of the game. Is it a must roster fight? I don't know if it's a must roster fight because I feel like a second or third round finish could be coming. And if that, you have to think that heavyweight fights more often than not are not going to reach the fourth and fifth rounds. Right. So you can basically view them as a, a three round fight. You know, the Curtis Blades and Volkov fight, that's kind of like the oddity where it will go the distance because you have guys, you know, I don't see it going five, Jason. I really don't. But I will have plenty of shares of both of these guys. I think that, you know, you get a a crazy discount on Overeem at 7,600. Volkov at 8,600. I think a lot of people are going to go pay down to Overeem. They need a a 7K fighter to get them a W. And I think that they're going to look for Overeem to go to take down well and try to do his best wrestling impression of taking people down and implementing hard ground and pound. But I think Volkov keeps it standing and either coast to a victory or finishes over in here. And something to note, this will be 
uh, the first of three straight weeks where we headlined our uh, fight night cards headlined by heavyweight matchups. Of course, next we got the pay-per-view uh, with the welterweight title fight. Of course, appreciate everyone here on a Thursday night. Be sure to hit that thumbs up button right here on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. We just got our 50,000 subscribers here on YouTube. We always do appreciate the support. And if you're watching us live, you'll see it right there uh, in the chat. The great giveaway that we got going on over on our Twitter handle at Awesomeo underscore com. A Super Bowl giveaway. So check out there the pin tweet there at the Awesomeo Twitter handle. Of course, uh, if you do uh, have any questions on the fight, so we will get to those as we do go on. Uh, Samuel, I see your usual questions. We'll get to those questions once we get towards the end of the show uh, in terms of that. Also, be sure to head over to Osmo.com. He's already got some articles up there. Take down City. Who's going to take down City? Who knows? Maybe it is Alexander Volkov goes down to take down <laughs> City, but you got to check out all Pete's content over there at awesomeo.com. Let's move on to the co-main event. Corey Sanhagen versus Frankie Edgar. Corey Sanhagen, a 4-1 to betting favorite in this one. The On the other side, Frankie Edgar, he is at 320 plus 325. Uh, Corey Sanhagen, if you want him uh, in terms of DFS, you're going to pay up for him. 9400 on DK, $22 or $23 on FanDuel. On the other side of this, Frankie Edgar, $6,800 and $8 on FanDuel. I will say this. If Frankie Edgar's going to win this fight, I believe it's by submission. Frankie Edgar via submission prop bet plus eighteen hundred. It's an interesting prop bet. It really is. Um, you know, I I can see Frankie Edgar squeaking out a decision. I think that's probably the more likely. But we have seen San Hagen um, get taken down and submitted quite easily. So. Uh, I do think that the, the odds are a little wide here. I, I think that Sanhagen obviously is the younger guy. He's 28. He's 6-1 and one in the UFC. I'll say relatively untested in comparison to what Frankie Edgar has endured. Uh, Frankie Edgar is 18-8-1 and eight and one in the UFC, has seen it all across three weight classes, now at 135 pounds to really think about where his career is at now. I would have loved to see him at a lighter weight class early on, um, but here we are today and, uh, Frankie Edgar at 39 years old was taking on San Hagen, who really seems like to be a, a, a rising prospect, uh, just hitting, uh, Marlon Marais with a spinning hook kick. And, uh, you know, I think that this is an interesting matchup. The price tag and the odds are pretty wide, especially when you think about Frankie Edgar, just pulling off a, a close decision against Pedro Munoz. Um, you know, Edgar's still there. Edgar's always there as long as he's conscious and he's always going to put up, you know, full effort, great boxing combinations under coach Mark Henry, great wrestling. He chains together punches and wrestling takedowns better than anybody in the sport. It's just, can he avoid getting hit with a big shot or running into something? Or maybe he gets beat to the punch by Sanhagen throughout the three rounds, because this is a three-round bout where Edgar's had more championship experience than most people um, have fight experience. So um, 9,400 Sanhagen, that's pretty, pretty high. I don't really see this being a crazy, like, must-roster fight. Obviously, if Edgar gets it done at 6,800, he breaks the slate. I'm going to have plenty of shares of Edgar because we, ha- we did see what happens when uh, Sanhagen was taken down and submitted by Aljamain Sterling. Um, that path is always there for Frankie if he gets his hands on you. And a guy that used to, you know, fight at 155 pounds, 45, now 35, He's definitely strong and he, you know, he's 
unassuming, but he has the skills to back it up. So I do still favor Sanhagen, Jason. I think the younger guy is going to get it done. I love Frankie. Like I'm the biggest Frankie fan in the world. Um, he used to pick me up uh, for practice when I was staying with my buddy for two weeks. He'd pick us up and take us to practice. But, uh, you know, at 39 years old, I guess a top prospect, it's a close fight. Probably not my favorite for DFS. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, 30-year-old Frankie Edgar's not walking through the door. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason Corey Sanhagen. I do kind of feel like in, in terms of when we're looking at one slate opposed to the other, maybe there's a little more value on Corey Sanhagen over on FanDuel if if Frankie Edgar does go that takedown route. It's a great point. And, you know, I think that's why you need to be balanced across both slates. Don't discriminate like I do. I only play mostly on DraftKings. If you do the Jason Floyd approach, you can kind of pick and choose which fighters you want to target on both sides, and it makes sense. It's really smart. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about some fighters as, as we go on throughout this show, particularly on the DraftKings side of things. Like, I look at someone like a Yusuf Zalal, priced up high. Is the value there in terms of if he doesn't get a finish, does he score enough? And we, we've talked about this over the past, you know, couple of weeks here with this new DraftKings scoring system of – if it's going to be a stand-up fight, you got to be putting massive amount of volume to bring in the kind of points that you want if the fight goes 15 minutes. Yeah, and you know, to your point about volume, Sanhagen does have really, really high volume. His uh, strikes per minute sit at 6.88 in comparison to Frankie Edgar's 3.7. Um, you know, that's that's pretty crazy, and I think that you know Sanhagen has like similar Max Holloway type of volume. Obviously that score was, was really inflated because of the five rounds and breaking all the records and all that. But you know, the potential's there just 9,400. It's not just like my eyes don't light up and think that it's a bargain. You're paying up facing a former legend. I'd probably just take a wait and see. I'll sprinkle him, sprinkle him in, in a few lineups. Yeah. I mean, just looking at the prop bets on the over under numbers, over one and a half rounds, minus 390. Over two and a half rounds, minus 240. Yeah. Fight goes decision, minus 205. What's that yeah. tell you? Yeah, I, I think that's what's going to happen. I just think that Edgar is too schooled. Um, his, his coach is too smart. They came up with a great game plan. They have more code words than anything. You know, he just needs to avoid the big shot of Sanhagen. And uh, as long as he does that, I think it's going to be a really competitive fight, like a close fight, a lot closer than minus 400. Uh, let's move on to the next one. We got Michael Johnson versus Clay Guida. Michael Johnson, a minus 225 betting favorite in this one, plus 185 for Clay Guida over on the DK side of things. 8,800 for Michael Johnson, 7,400 for Clay Guida. And then over on FanDuel, $19 for Michael Johnson, $11 for Clay Guida. This is a fight that we were kind of talking about uh, last night via text messaging uh, and kind of to go back on what you just said a, a moment ago about, you know, looking at the different slates of who has value, maybe who doesn't have value. I think Michael Johnson is potentially some good value there on the FanDuel side of thing. You got to imagine Clay Guida is going to go that takedown route. But, I mean, look, it is tough to trust Michael Johnson. Yeah, it's tough to trust either one of these gentlemen. Uh, Johnson in the UFC is 11 and 12, whereas Guida is 15 and 14. Now, I mean, if you're a hardcore MMA fan, like you can re- remember these guys in their heyday. And I will say that, you know, Michael Johnson is a lot younger than Clay Guida, 34 versus 39. Uh, Clay Guida, you know, he's had a ton of experience, a ton of big wins, um, counted out all the time, and just somehow finds a way to win. I specifically remember you know, spo- him spoiling Anthony Pettis' debut 
And uh, I was out at Cowboys Ranch and we were all watching the fight. And, you know, I don't think anybody really expected that to happen. But Clay Guida can implement strong takedowns to really solidify rounds and get that nice control time. So if you're looking for a, a sneaky control time type of guy, Guida is probably somebody you want to target. But for me, I just can't see how Michael Johnson, who has, you know, beaten Tony Ferguson, knocked out Dustin Poirier, how is he going to lose to Clay Guida? And, no, you know, no respect to – I mean, no disrespect to Clay Guida. That did sound disrespectful, but I'm just saying, like – It did, it did. (laughs) But, I mean, he's beaten elite fighters, and Clay Guida is a tough veteran. Um, I just think that, you know, Michael Johnson needs to avoid getting submitted. And as long as Michael Johnson can avoid getting submitted, he does have good wrestling to kind of negate Clay Guida's strength, uh, good takedown defense. Um, can also get takedowns when he wants. He, he could put Clay Guida on his back. And it's the amazing boxing that makes me lean towards Michael Johnson. I think Michael Johnson gets it done. But, of course, I can't ignore Clay Guida at 7,400 based on the inconsistencies of both. On Michael Johnson, on the DraftKings side of things, at 8,800, if he doesn't get the finish, does it pay off? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, I think that Michael Johnson needs to get it done, uh, needs to finish Clay Guida. Clay Guida has been finished quite a bit, um, but it's mostly via sub, not via KO. So, And I, I really don't see Johnson submitting Clay Guida. Um, we've seen him face uh, Bobby Green in the most recent bout, and Bobby Green wasn't able to get rid of him. Uh, Clay, Clay Guida is literally just there. He reminds me like Darren Elkins. Or he, he takes a ton of damage. He constantly pushes forward. He'll always come at you with a high pace. So if you're off your game or you don't feel like fighting that night, and I know that sounds like funny, but it's serious. Like a lot of times fighters are like mentally checked out before they, before the fight even starts, they don't want to be there. Um, Clay Guida can definitely spoil the fight and uh, upset you there. So uh, sprinkle Clay Guida in great value play, but I'm, I'm leaning Johnson. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some great comments in the YouTube chat that I do want to mention, and, and there are a lot of them right. Like, you know, uh, you know, one of the comments is Johnson is a master at pulling defeat from the jaws of victory. You think about that Tiago Moses fight. Oh looks gosh. amazing in the opening round. Amazing. And then he gets taken down and, and submitted. Uh, Miles, Clay gets beat up by his brother before he enters the octagon. That is so true. I yep. will tell you, every time Clay Guido w- fights, I just I, I look forward to seeing him and his brother Jason just smack as he smacks him. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that uh, you know he's just an interesting character. He's kind of like the Energizer Bunny, but like the Energizer Bunny that just had an energy drink. Like the kid's insane, and uh, you know he's a a very exciting fighter and does definitely has skills to back it up. I mean, think about it when he knocked out Joe Lozon. I mean, he hit him with a beautiful combination. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Does possess good power. Can put out Michael Johnson's lights. It's just Michael Johnson's the crisp, more clean striker that uh, you know definitely has the better fundamentals. Uh, Hunter asked this question for both of us. Better GPP dog play. Clay Guida or Frankie Edgar? GPP. Hmm, that is a great question. Um, I think that Guida will be extremely high-owned based on the inconsistencies of Michael Johnson. So if you really want like a super dark horse GPP target, I think that Frankie Edgar fits that bill. Mm-hmm where 6,800 people automatically writing him off, expecting him to lose against the nice shiny toy on the block, Corey Sanhagen. So I think to be extremely contrarian, go Frankie Edgar, but to be safe, go Clay Guido. I absolutely agree with everything you said there. You, you know, I totally agree with that. Of course, uh, this is the MMA DFS strategy show right here on awesome.com and get access to all the great tools and content we have at awesomo.com with a awesome plus weekly pass for 29.95 get you access to everything from our player projections ownership projections that top fighters tool for ma of course i'm on there daily i got i got to set my nba lineups on there so i'm on there looking at you know ownership projections to sign up for an awesome plus weekly pass 29.95 you see it right there on the screen, gotta take advantage, and of course, also gives you access to our premium Slack account, where you can talk to myself and Pete in there, or all the great uh, people that we have over here at awesomeo.com. So sign up for the Awesome Plus weekly pass right now. You can go to awesomeo.com/slash/join, or if you just go to awesomeo.com, right there on the left hand side of the screen, you'll see Awesome Plus, and that is where you can sign up for Awesome Plus weekly pass for twenty nine ninety five. You definitely want to take advantage of that. One thing I'll mention about Clay Guida. Submission prop by Clay Guida, plus 1240. Yeah, that's that's crazy, Jason. And that's why, like, you know, you're, you're like the, the elderly man at the beach with, like, the metal detector trying to find that hidden treasure. And I think you might have found something there because, like, you know, Clay Guida via sub is a, is a nice little prop bet. Let's move on. Next up, we have got a flyweight matchup. Uh, you got Cape making his UFC debut, taking on Alexandre Pantoja. Uh, and, and let's just start here because I already got asked in the question, who is Cape here? Let, let everyone know about who he is because I have a question for you in relation to him. I'm interested to see if you bring it up as you break him down here. Yeah, well, Manel Cape is uh, you know a very talented fighter coming over from Ryzen, um, you know, extremely skilled. Uh, was brought in as an alternate um, before even making his, you know, UFC debut. So, you know, obviously the UFC thinks that this guy can step up to the plate or maybe he offered his services and they think that he's extremely talented. Um, he's coming over here to make his UFC debut, but is 15 and four overall and is a fantastic striker, has great movement, very powerful hands, likes to switch stances a lot. Going up against Alexandre Pantoja, man. The dark horse in the division that has kind of really just like evolved over the times. And I think that his striking is so is so interesting because he's such a, a talented grappler that nowadays you think of Pantoja as a striker when you know he's just a phenomenal Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. But you know, I'm excited to see Cape debut here. Let me ask you if you think this is an issue or not. One of the things in Ryzen that Cape would always wear is yeah. shoes. Yeah. Obviously, no shoes. Let me yeah. ask the fighter here. 
what, what what's kind of your take on this? Yeah, so I mean, he he was the champion over there in Ryzen, and you know, in Ryzen, being in a ring, that's another adjustment. Like I uh, I was a kickboxer, so I had to make the adjustment to um, you know going into a cage, and obviously it's a different sport, but still using the ropes where you can bounce and move around, you know, you can use that to your advantage. Um, and I will say that uh, rings seem to favor strikers more than grapplers. Because, you know, the ropes don't get in the way. They don't disrupt the takedowns. Whereas a cage, if a, if a wrestler pins you against the cage, you got nowhere to go. Um, and, uh, you know, they could really use that push-pull method to take you off the cage and plant you on your butt. Wrestling shoes, you know, I mean, I, I've known people that have competed in Ryzen and they wore wrestling shoes. And uh, it's kind of just, I don't know, like if you're allowed to do it, it that's okay. And, uh, but it's, it's completely different when you're fighting in an octagon or you're fighting in the cage, especially with no grip on your feet. Um, you know, I, I'm interested to see the debut because there's so many like uncertainty uncertainties and so many questions regarding Cape here, you know, tough task to come in here and take out Pantoja who has some crazy notable wins, beat the, beat the heck out of Brandon Moreno twice. Once on the ultimate fighter, um, once actually in the UFC, uh, had a back and forth affair with Davis and Figueredo. That was an incredible fight. Um, had his moments. Talk about a debut, man. Like if he comes in here and takes out Pantoja, he's literally looking couple fights, title fight. Yeah. You, you look at, uh, Pantoja, uh, just of who he, and outside of obviously Bram Moreno is clearly his, his most notable win. Who would be his second best win in the UFC? So his wins, Matt Schnell, Wilson Hayes, Yuta Sasaki, and Neil Seary, and Eric Shelton. Yeah, it's kind of tough when you do it like that. Um, I, I would probably say Wilson Hayes. Yeah, I mean, Wilson Hayes at that time wasn't what he was. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Brandon, outside the Brandon Moreno fights, I mean, he does have a win over Kai Kara France on the Ultimate Fighter, so... I know those are exhibitions, but I can look at those. It's like, oh, well, I mean, he's just so talented. And I know that he has dropped some fights to Askar Askarov, uh, Davison Figueroa, the champ, and Dustin Ortiz back in 2018. I still just I, – I think that Pantoja is legit everywhere. He can strike with you. He can hurt you on the feet. And if you screw up, he can take you back and submit you. And, uh, you know, Cape, I think that Cape's going to be like a fish out of water on the mat if it ever gets to that point. I mean, you look, you look at the price points, very nice price points on both platforms. 8300 for Pantoja, 7900 over on FanDuel, 16 for Pantoja, and, and 14 for Cape. Is this a fight that you believe, um, you know, maybe, you know, are you looking at 50% exposure on, on you know, it, just in terms of this fight or maybe a little under that? Yeah, I mean, I'll probably come in a little bit less than that because it is a 125-pound fight. Um, I will be favoring Pantoja in the bout, though. At 8300 I think it's a nice discount. Um, if he was priced up, there's no way I'm, I was paying that. But, you know, mid-price is always something to consider. Um, I think that it is a tough fight for him, too. So it's not like it's a difficult fight for Cape, and it's not a tough fight for Pantoja. It's just I know what I'm getting out of Pantoja. I know what he can bring to the table. I don't have to worry about wrestling shoes, a ring, a UFC debut, all this, that, and the other. I know what I'm getting out of Pantoja. I like what I see. I think that, you know, they're really either touting Kate or completely underestimating Pantoja. I will say that of the 7K options, though, that Cape is 
a really good one because he does possess a 93% finish rate. He is 15 and four overall. We know what he could bring to the table. Former champ in Ryzen, you know, like the Kyoji Horiguchi fight, like he got completely outclassed there, but I do think that he can be a threat in the UFC for sure. Let's move on to the next fight. It's a fight that just got made uh, about uh, about a week ago, uh, and that is Cody Stamen versus Ashkar Ashkar. Ninety two hundred for Cody Stamen on DK, six seven hundred for Ashkar. Uh, Twenty two dollars on Fanduel for Cody. We do not have uh, a salary for Ashkar yet. Cody is approaching a five to one betting favorite. So I'll give you a little story, a little yeah. backstory on this one here. So I was supposed to interview Cody last Friday. And also interview Andre Uhl, who was his second opponent for this card. He was initially supposed to take on Marab Dalishvili. Marab pulled out of the fight uh, due to COVID recently. They were actually supposed to fight in December. Cody had to pull out of that fight. And then they went to Andre Uhl. So I'm like, it's like two hours before I'm about to interview Andre Uhl. Cody's team hits me up and says, hey, AJ, just to let you know, um, they're seeking a new opponent for Cody. Let's, let's hold off on the interview for right now. So then I reach out to Andre's people like, hey, um, so I guess the interview's not happening. And yeah. then, of course, yeah, they, they really didn't kind of go into details of why he was out in the fight. And then it comes back of uh, he had a, a positive COVID test that appears to be a false positive. But because of the UFC protocols, you're out of the fight. If, if that even if so, it's a false positive within 10 days of the fight, you're out of the fight. And so then I talked to Cody on Monday. And he was grateful that Ashkar stepped up to take this fight. He said to me that uh, multiple UFC fighters turned down the fight. Fights at 145 pounds because of his opponent stepping up here on a week's notice. Uh, it was a, a fascinating conversation I had with Cody. I, I thought the the thing that stuck out to me the most of what he said was he talked about the fight against Jimmy Rivera last year. And he talked about how he was unprepared for a fight. Should have never taken the fight. And it, it's just something you don't hear a fighter say a lot. Yeah. Hey, Cody, I wish I knew that. I was touting you, man. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I like Cody Stamen a lot. And uh, I, I like the transparency of when fighters are honest uh, and they're able to kind of give you a glimpse into their real life and they don't really hold any punches back. And they kind of just tell you the real of what things are, you know, whether they were hurt, whether they didn't train or they were partying or whatever. Um, you know, you, you have Cody Samen here at 9,200 taking on Ascar, Ascar at 6,700. I mean, I, I think that they actually had the prices right on this. Ascar, Ascar is very tough, 11 and 1, but stepping up on short notice to take on Cody Stamen, who a lot of UFC fighters don't want to fight because of what he brings to the table. He's good striking, but he has overpower rest, overpowering wrestling where he can take you down and has great top control and he can just keep you there. Um, and then he can win rounds and, you know, it's just a, a frustrating matchup, and not many people want to sign up for that, especially when it's not, you know, Cody's not like a high rank. Is Cody even ranked at this moment? I don't believe he is. Um, uh, he might be. I mean, look, when you look at Cody's losses, it's to the, the elite of this division. Right. Yeah, so, but uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, a lot of people don't want to take this fight because he doesn't have, like, a, say, a, a good number next to his name. Um, you know, it's, it's too tough of a fight. So why take that fight? Wait for him to get ranked, and then we'll take the chance. But, uh, um, you know, I, I'm interested for this fight. I do back Cody Stammen quite a bit here. 19-3 and 1 overall. I think that he's in a good spot. Mixes it up too well for Askar Askar. Despite the promise of Askar Askar, 
you know, I, I just think that this is a, hey, kid, we know that you're talented. Fill this spot for us, and then you get some more fights. Uh, Cody is actually ranked at these number 13 title challenger right, right now in the UFC Bantamweight division. Uh, we'll say this, uh, even though Cody has been a, a guy that typically does go the distance in the UFC, uh, the inside of distance prop plus 265. So uh, if you don't want to pay that minus 470 money for him, you know, you want to maybe chase one of those prop bets, that might be a prop bet to chase a little bit there uh, at that 265. And look, and people are going to look at, was it two fights ago? Ashkar lost by a knockout in 39 seconds. Yeah. Well, he is point. coming off a great performance in LFA, though. Yeah. I mean, Ascar is very talented, and that's why he got this call, um, you know. And uh, I, I think that as a, a fighter with 11-1 and one record, you know that you're kind of close to getting to the UFC. So was, I'm hoping that you're staying ready and in hopes that you're getting a phone call. But Cody Stamen is on another level, in my opinion. I think that it's going to be a rude awakening and a, a – a warm welcome to the UFC and Cody Stamen is going to be victorious here at 9,200. Does he pay off the price tag? If he gets a finish, obviously. And uh, Ascar was finished, like you said, a couple fights ago, but 9,200, man. I don't know. Maybe with the control time, you know what? I, I have to take into the, into account the new scoring system. I do think 9,200 isn't bad. So I will say Cody Stamen 9,200. I'll, have, I'll definitely have some shares. Yeah, I would tell you that's where I think you got to play the ownership game there. I was actually kind of surprised how high the ownership was on Cody at the, at, on, on both platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say this, you know, I would maybe look out for Cody as MVP on FanDuel as a contrarian play. Look, you, I don't think you're going to feel comfortable with it. But you, you know, when you're looking a little contrarian on FanDuel, I think that's something to play there. Um, and, and a great point about, you know, you know is – if this fight goes 15 minutes, what happens if Cody just takes him down and just rolls up 12 ish minutes of control time? Yeah. I mean, like obviously there's a cap on, on control time. So like, I think I forget the math on it, but it's not, you can't get more than like 20 points or something like that, but you are getting probably significant strikes on the mat. Um, You remember you, you are taking into account total strikes now, um, I wish advances were still there. They're not, but it is a nice bonus. Like, I mean, like, you know, back in the day, if he just laid in guard, he wasn't getting control time. So now that if he does that, he's getting another 15 or 20 points. If he holds them for the, say the whole duration of the fight, it's just a nice little wrinkle to add to projections. And, uh, I think that it kind of tips the scale for some fighters more than others. Of course, uh, I want you to do me a big favor right now. If you are not following us on Twitter, you got to do that. We're almost at 30,000 followers on Twitter and help us get us over that hump. Head over our Twitter handle, which is at awesome underscore com right now to give us a follow. So keep you up to date with all the latest news and notes that we are putting out there. You'll know exactly when all of Pete's new content is available up there at awesome.com. Also, be sure to follow our MMA account at awesome. MMA is, of course, uh, definitely during fight nights. We're always trying to put some stuff out there as well. Let's move on to the next fight of the night, Pete. Uh, and that's a fight that, it, just in terms of the fight aspect of it, taking DFS out of it. But Neil Darius versus Diego Fajaya is probably my favorite fight on the card. It's a good one. It is a good one, man. I am extremely excited for this fight. Um, you know, it's a rematch, and I didn't realize that when when I saw them on the card. Six years started, ago? 
Yeah, something like that. I, I watched the fight. Um, it was an interesting back-and-forth contest, but it's crazy to think about the evolution of both of their games. And I, I do think that Dariush, to this point, has been the more active fighter. And I just – you've got two powerhouse gyms right now, man. Uh, it's, it's an exciting fight. That's why it's priced at 8200 8000 yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, it's obviously a great price point. Um, you know, and look, when these first two guys met initially, they were just grapplers. That's what they were. But both these guys have evolved. Uh, you know, I think the only concern I have on Diego, sometimes he becomes a little bit of a slow starter. Um, you know, overall, I, I, I don't know how much I really love the fight for, from a DFS perspective. Uh, if you told me I had to play one side, I think it would be Diego. Yeah, um, I'm actually uh, – I, I don't hate Diego, but I actually like uh, Benil Dariush quite a bit. I, I think that um, working with Rafael Cordero at Kings MMA has really helped him, and you've seen the transformation in his game. Um, a really, really talented grappler. Outside of being submitted by Michael Chiesa, when he gets his hands on his opponents, he really just outclasses them on the mat. Now, I know that Diego Fajaya is a phenomenal grappler as well. I do think that there are levels to this game, and it's always interesting to see two elite grapplers compete because the strengths will nullify each other for the most part, and it will turn into a striking match. Um, But if it, for some reason, does hit the mat, I would love to see the scrambles, the transitions, the reversals, because you... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You know, they're going to be there. Um, it's kind of like in jujitsu class when you're watching the, uh, the brown belts or the black belts go at it. You, you want to you watch those matches, you want to watch those, uh, those reps. Um, I do favor Benil Dariush. I, I like him here at 8,000. He's, uh, I think, my first underdog that I really, really like. Um, you know, 68% finish rate has been racking up some finishes via striking. I think that Diego Fejea is more limited in his striking, a lot of boxing, whereas Benil is more of a Muay Thai type of fighter um, under Rafael Cordero. And uh, if things get sticky, he can take down his opponent and possibly work towards a submission. So I favor Dariush. Give me the act, the more active man over the past couple of years. He won the first contest, you know, that can kind of mess with somebody, but also can prove to be some motivation for Diego Fajaya to really go like, I'm not the fighter I was seven years ago. Uh, next up, we got Mike Rodriguez taking on Danilo Marquise. Dylan Marquise, a plus 195 betting underdog, minus 235 for Mike Rodriguez over on the DraftKings side of things. Nine thanks for Mike Rod, 7,200 for Danilo, and then is 20 hours and 10 respectively. Over on FanDuel, when I talked to uh, Mike uh, about a week ago at this point, he one thing that 
he told me was that he is only focused on things that he can control. He's not going to worry about other things. Um, he definitely understands that, you know, everyone is going to try to take him to the ground and, and he, he wants to show people that, you know, what he's been working on there. But um, do you ever go down the tapology rabbit hole? Yeah, a little too often. So two fights before Danilo Marquise made his UFC debut, he fought in Gladiator. He was seven and two at the time, Pete. Yeah. His opponent entered the fight. Oh, and 16. And that guy is now zero and 21. Find me these opponents, Jason. I don't care what weight class they're at. Line them up, line them up, Jason. Okay. We need to get back in the win column. Um, no, you know, it's, it's crazy what regional MMA is sometimes and how some fights are sanctioned, you know, definitely, I, I'm glad you brought it up, but Danilo Marquise's track record and his strength of schedule to this point, you know, is, is questionable at best. And he beat, uh, Hadis Ibrahimov, which he was probably, you know, I thought that he actually had some promise and coming over and, and being a successful fighter over an M1 and then coming over and just looking horrible in, in I think three or four fights. Um, I, I really think that uh, Marquise needs to, uh, well, he's tested now he's in the UFC. Now there's no turning back. So you're either at this level or you're not. I do think that Mike Rodriguez is a very difficult matchup for a lot of fighters based on his reach six, four for the 205 pound division has an 82 inch reach. That is pretty long. That is close to John Jones or pretty close to John Jones. I think John Jones was 84 and a half or something yeah. like that. Um, Danilo Marquise, 6'6", though. So definitely has the height, 5-inch reach disadvantage. Now, Marquise has uh, really, really solid grappling in jiu-jitsu, and that's his path to victory, Jason. He needs to get Mike Rodriguez there. And we have seen Mike Rodriguez struggle in that facet of the game before. Um, and Mike knows that. You know, it's you know it's no different than, you know, Mike's a striker. So, I have seen Marquise taking, you know, taking some shots on the regional scene, knocked out on the regional scene, and he looked completely gassed and fatigued in the UFC fight against Hadis Ibrahimov. So Mike should have won that last fight against Ed Herman. I mean, let's be real. That was the most egregious call in probably the history that I can remember of a, a blatant non-foul and, uh, you know, he basically won the fight and then lost the fight in less than a couple minutes. So everybody's rooting for Mike Rodriguez to turn the corner here and get a W and get back in that win column because he should not have to look at that loss, you know, on his resume. Yeah, it definitely seems the UFC is trying to promote Mike Rodriguez a little bit heading into this one. You know, one of the things that Mike did tell me that he's like, look, you know, it was really hard to find a lot of footage on his opponent. Obviously, he had the footage of his UFC debut and he said the only other fight that he found was the fight that uh, that he lost against yeah. Myron Dennis in LFA. So whether that's a good or bad thing, time will tell on that one. But you know, I think when you're when you, in it, as a GPP, I do like Mike Mike Rodriguez 
in yeah. this spot. Uh, next up is another fight that has gone through some changes as Devontae Smith, who was supposed to take on Alex De Silva, he now takes on Justin James, who took this fight, I want to say, on Monday. It's going to be at a contract weight of 160 pounds. Uh, Devontae Smith, first fight since August of 2019, had a torn Achilles injury, so uh, you know, a year and a half away for him. And, of course, Justin James, uh, a plus 250 betting underdog in this one, 9,200 for Devontae, 7000 for Justin James. We do not have any FanDuel salaries. In terms of this one, I, I texted you this last night. I think that when you're talking about building your GPP lineups, this is a fight you have to hit on. Yeah, agree. I think you have to be on the right side of this fight because I foresee somebody getting finished. Um, Devontae Smith having to overcome a lot. You know, you talk about the crazy injury, the Achilles injury, but also you know, coming back off of getting knocked out by a former teammate in Kama Worthy, uh, you know, where nobody really saw that coming. And uh, Devontae Smith has some excellent power, has finished all 10 of his victories, comes in at 9,200, everybody. So I think that he's a nice spend-up option here. Now, um, I will say that, you know, having somebody step up on short notice, Justin James has really thrived in that role before. You saw what he did and uh, stepping up on short notice and, and taking out Frank Camacho, knocking him out pretty viciously. Um, you know, he seems like a guy that stays ready or he's just crazy enough to accept fights all the time. I don't know which is, which is the truth, but, um, if Justin James would ever implement his wrestling, he can make this fight a lot closer than it might be because Justin James on the regional scene, you know, had great boxing, but took people down to take down city and ground and pounding them like crazy. And, uh, you know, if he was standing up, he was throwing bombs. If he took you down, he was throwing bombs. And I think that if you go back on the regional scene and look at the tape of Devontae Smith, you, have, you can see that at points he's been taken down and controlled and outworked on the mat. So, I mean, you're really hoping for a prayer right here that, that James goes out there and does that because he has shown zero interest in wrestling. And, uh, you know, if – if he if he wrestles, I really like him, and I think that he is a, a name to circle as a GPP target because at 7K, you know, we talked about Smith coming off the layoff, coming off a knockout, he, he, and he has been knocked out twice in the past against James, who hits extremely hard. Um, but James was just picked apart as well against Gabriel Benitez, especially with that knee up the middle to deliver. So, I mean – you can make a case for both of these guys. That's why you said it's a must-roster fight. I do favor Devontae Smith slightly, 9,200. I think he gets him, gets it done, puts him away. Uh, don't ignore Justin James, though. I'll mention something about Justin James here in a moment, but uh, if you like what you're hearing here, be sure to hit that thumbs-up button. And if you're not subscribed here, also hit that subscribe button as we have shows every day for you, whether we're talking about the NBA, the Super Bowl coming up this weekend, of course, MA, NHL. We've got you covered here at awesome.com and our YouTube channel, so be sure to hit that thumbs-up button. Now, I've had a chance to talk to Justin James on a couple of occasions Let's just say he uh, he's definitely in the I love the throw bungalows fan club. He, he I mean, look, he does, he's he is while he has that wrestling base, and you bring up great points of why to do it. He, that's not exactly what he wants to do. Oh, man, you know that it's it's such a shame when people start to fall in love with their hands when they're not, you know, like fundamentally a striker like you know his bread and butter was taking people down and he was a wrestler at heart and uh you know 
you, you start to find interest in the in your weaknesses. It's funny how that works. You got strikers trying to grapple sometimes, and then you got grapplers trying to strike. Um, you know, if he gets hurt, that kind of idea of not grappling might be thrown out the window because when you're rocked, sometimes you just want to hold on to somebody and just secure them the safest position possible. But the fact that he has mentioned that he wants to go out there and trade with Devontae Smith, he has he has the capability of knocking out knocking out Devontae Smith. But I think that Devontae Smith just outclasses him on the feet and works towards a finish. I will tell you this, and this is why you got to go over to Odd Shopper and you got to price out some books here. This is a crazy prop bet to me. There's some books out there right now. Devontae Smith went in round one as low as plus 140, as high as plus 1075. Whoa. Whoa. Quite the difference. I'm just saying, I, I look, I, th- I think someone's getting knocked out in this fight. I, I really, I believe in terms of GPP, this is a fight that you have to hit on. And, uh, but I mean, look, it's, it's a short nose fight and we've seen, uh, Justin James do this before when he took on Frank Camacho. And unfortunately we were on the wrong side of that one. <laughs> you had to bring it up, Jason. Yes. Look, look we're just brutally honest here. We're yeah, not trying yeah. to hide anything. Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't see that coming. I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, uh, let's move on. We got a female matchup. Carol Rosa minus two forty-five. She's taking on Jocelyn Edwards plus two hundred five. Jocelyn took this. I want to say last week. Uh, no uh, prices on FanDuel over on DraftKings. A seven hundred for Rosa, seventy-five hundred for Edwards. What's your thoughts on uh, Edwards as a, a under eight K option? Yeah, you know we hit on Edwards last time, and uh, I think the industry was kind of under underestimating her abilities. And now I'm picking against her here. Um, I, I do think that she is talented. Um, I do think that she's going to be somewhat undersized against Carol Rosa, Carol Hosa. Uh, 8,700 Carol Hosa has crazy output. I mean, if you look at the stat sheet, 9.7 strikes per minute. That is crazy in comparison to Jocelyn Edwards, limited sample size, but 5.87 strikes per, per minute. Um, you know, what I like from Rosa is that she leg kicks a lot. She does a lot of uh, strikes into leg kicks to kind of rack up points to, you know, you know, negate the, the striking offense of her opponents. Um, you know, I, I think that Edwards, despite getting out of some, some situations on the mat, I do think that she still is somewhat green in the grappling department. And I think that Rosa can take her down in parts maybe control her in parts to win some rounds. And I do think that even on the feet that, that Rosa is a nice play. Um, It's just a price tag, Jason. You know what I mean? Like I think that she's going to get it done. I think that there could be a ton of strikes here because, you know, in the past, if you look at her average track DraftKings points of 110.7, she throws so much that like the stats just start accumulating and, you know, the points just start flying everywhere. Um, I'm going to have my shares because I can definitely see that happening here. I wasn't in love with Edwards conditioning in her previous fight. She kind of gutted it out and got it done. But I do think that against a fighter that'll push you a little bit more than, uh, than her previous opponent, like Carol Rosa will, I think that she's going to, you know, kind of falter a little bit. Um, you know, Edwards has the, the better finishing rate of 80% of her 10 victories, whereas Rosa has 13 victories with a 46% finish rate. So with all that being said, I think Rose is a pretty good play. Mention about that volume. She's had two UFC fights. Both have gone the distance. 
In both fights, she has landed 177 strikes in 15 minutes of fighting. I might say, sign me up, man. I mean, 8,700. Like, Edwards isn't bad. Like, I think that Edwards is very good, and that's why I said pick her last card. Um, uh, I think that she's a pretty good striker. She's extremely aggressive. She does have a judo background where she can throw some opponents. I just think that Carol Rose is better everywhere. And, uh, you know, she ha- kind of has her feet wet here in the UFC, 2-0. Edwards, you know, it was a close fight in some parts, but she won that decisively. She's 1-0, just relatively untested. Before we move on to the next fight, I want to mention uh, Tanner's question. He goes, thoughts on Edwards' height and reach advantage limiting Rosa's striking output? Yeah, not really, because it's only a three-inch reach advantage. It's nothing drastic. Um, you know, it, it'd be something if Edwards was a master with, like, her, her jab or something like that and a master at distance management. But she blitzes forward a lot. And when you blitz forward a lot, I always say it, you bring your hips forward you're more susceptible to getting taken down, but more, more importantly, you're more susceptible to getting put in the clinch. Um, and I think that's, what's going to happen here at parts. And then Rose is going to disengage and then start to really implement lots of leg kicks. Mention about the output that, uh, Hosa had in one of her fights. One of those fights was against a fight. We're going to talk about next. And that's Laura. It's a two year layoff for her. Uh, but in that fight, she landed 169 strikes. She's the underdog here against Molly McCann. Laura, 7700 on DK, 8500 for McCann. Over on FanDuel, $17 for McCann, $13 on Laura. Are we looking at a, an underdog call here? I, I'm considering it. I am considering it. I do think that McCann will get it done, though. Um, but, you know, Procopio is one of those, like, five fighters each week that I, as underdogs, that I like to kind of put in my lineups. Uh, and take some shots because like if you're trying to go from this from just a a predicting standpoint or projection standpoint you know sometimes you'll fail because you'll be off on just one fight and that one fight will hurt you so if you can mix and match and lower you know uh you know lower salary type of of contests like the three max or or whatnot i know that you're a fan of the three max that you can really start to get used to different lineups and combinations but um you know mccann here at 8500 I think that she's good, and I actually listened to an interview saying that this was the most difficult training, uh, you know, training camp of her life because of the quarantine of it. It was more of a mental battle than anything, Jason. Where it's kind of, uh, you know, you're tra- you're a fighter, you train all the time, but then on a normal time, on a normal life, you would be able to have an escape. But during quarantine and COVID. Uh, there, there's no escape where she's at. So it's kind of like she just has to constantly think about the fight, think about the fight, and the anxiety is build, uh, building. Uh, I think that she does have a good camp. And uh, the one thing I will say in this matchup against Procopio, from what I've seen, is that she does seem to be like the more well-rounded fighter, uh, has good striking, good wrestling, and I think the wrestling could be the difference here. And I know that Procopio has good striking, was going tit-for-tat with uh, Carol Hosa. But uh, Procopio claims that she's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Um, You know, we'll have to see. But just because you're Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, sometimes your wrestling is lacking. And I do think that McCann mixing things up can make things interesting. If it stays standing and Procopio is able to prevent the takedown, that high output, and we see it on the sheet, 11 strikes per minute is insane. She can steal and squeak away a fight. 
Of course, uh, this is the MMA DFS Strategy Show right here on awesomeo.com. If you ever miss a show live and you want to catch it on demand, catch it a part of the Awesome Podcast Network, just go to awesomeo.com slash podcast. Leave a five-star review on one of our podcasts for a chance to win a free month of Awesome Plus Platinum. The Awesome Podcast Network is something I take advantage of every day as uh, you know, there's times where I can't listen to the NBA Strategy Show live. Pop there in the Awesome Podcast Network as I'm grinding away here in the office, so you got to check that out. Mentioned a question about uh, from Hunter here. Says, can McCann get her down? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I know that uh, Molly McCann's takedown accuracy isn't the best. Comes in at 29%, but 29% because she's relentless and, um, you know, her opponents stuff her shots, but she ultimately gets her opponents down. Um, like one a fight, she does average two per 15 minutes, which is pretty good. Um, I think that that number of the accuracy just goes to show you how many takedowns she actually attempts. Um, you know, if she fails, that's okay. She kind of keeps going back to that. Well, back to that. Well, kind of, I only need one a fight or, or, you know, one around to, to get this fight. It's just, can she avoid the submission of Procopio? Procopio is not really uh, a finishing ace. Neither one of these women are. McCann's 40, 40% finish rate, Procopio 50%. I, I favor McCann at 8,500. Let's move on. Next up, we got a matchup that came together within the last week. It is Sungwoo Choi taking on Yusuf Zalal. Of course, initially Choi was going to take on Colin Anglin and going to let you hear a little bit of my conversation with Yusuf Zalal. It's about uh, 30-ish seconds or so as he talks about the fact of he was hap- actually helping Colin Anglin prepare for this matchup. Preparing Colin to get ready for the fight. It was me, uh, Chris Gutierrez, all the good kickers, you know, the good kickers, kickboxers, slash strikers, you know, whatever whatever you call it. That's what we're like, we're playing on and I was like, okay, let's Let's see. We're helping him out. And uh, I, I think that's the first thing to bring up there. He's talking about, A, the kickers. But, B, here's something also to notice. He was supposed to fight Choi last year. That fight didn't happen. So he actually had an eight-week camp preparing for Choi. So a lot of things that count in there. And I think when you look at Zalal here in this place, I think this is where you have to talk about the draft, new DraftKings scoring system is if Zalal is unable to get a finish – is he worth that price point of 9,100? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that he will be, but I do favor Zalal quite a bit in this matchup. Uh, Sung Woo Choi is a big guy for 145 pounds, uh, 6 feet, 74-inch reach. Um, Zalal, you know, 5'10", 72-inch reach. I'm excited to see Zalal perform. He's kind of been like a, I don't know, a fighter I really like to watch, and I've, been kind of, I've you know, become a friend, a friend, a fan. Um, and I'm excited to see him get in there. He has good striking, flows really well, takes his opponents down when he needs to. You see him get creative, good punches, good kicks, good level changes, and great footwork to avoid the power of his opponents. And I think that's important here because Sung Woo Choi, um, I think that Sung Woo Choi, you know, is more of a flat-footed power type of fighter where he tries to line up that big right hand. And I think that he's going to be missing a lot in this matchup against the in and out Zalal that can really throw off the rhythm of his opponent. So Zalal 9,100, if he gets some takedowns, you know, he could definitely rack up some control time. I just think it's going to be, you know, Zalal from bell to bell. I'll take my chances. I like him here. 
interesting that one of the things the law did tell me is that when uh, Colin pulled out of the fight, they were initially told that the UFC wanted to go the route of a contender series fighter and not Zalal. Maybe that kind of tells you something a little bit here. Maybe yeah. they, they, they kind of, you know, maybe they're trying to, you know, tie up the tie up Troy a little bit. And they really didn't want to go there. So I definitely like Zalal in that one. Another matchup that came together over the past couple of days, and this fight's going to be at 145 pounds. Timur Valiev, who's supposed to take on Julio Arce, he's now taking on Martin Day. I'm going to let you hear a small piece of my conversation with Martin Day. Now, the question leading up to this one was he had this Instagram post where basically he says, hey, I feel like I'm fighting no pressure. All the pressure's on Timur Valiev. And, and so I basically asked him, hey, you know, have you ever had this feeling before? And the end of his answer is very interesting. And from a DFS perspective, I think it's, you're going to like what you hear. If there's pressure on somebody, it's all on him to perform. It's all on him to, to, to do his job in there. And, you know, for me, I just get to go out there and, and get one more shot at this. And uh, like I said, not a lot of people are expecting me to, to, to come out on top on this one. So I like that. And uh, so now I just get to go out there and fight that way. Fight like I have nothing to lose, you know. We can throw some spinning stuff. We can throw some, some big strikes and look for something dramatic. Of course, one of the things that he mentioned in the conversation I had with him was his last fight. He said, he goes, I do not know why I went for a takedown going up against a jujitsu guy. Um, you know, he honestly, he thought he was going to be cut and then he gets this call. And so it was a situation he had to take advantage of. But I think from a DFS perspective, if you are looking for an underdog, of course, we saw how a value have got to a great start as UFC debut. And then, of course, uh, you know, got the then ended up losing in the second round. But from a DFS perspective, when you hear a guy sitting there going, look, my back's against the wall. I'm going to start throwing spinning stuff out there. I'm, you know, all the tools are coming out of the toolbox. You like to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys know that I was really high on Martin Day in his previous bout. And then he shot a double leg and got caught in, in the choke. But, you know, that is what it is. And sometimes, you know, your emotions get the best of you. But in a striking matchup, I will say that Martin Day is extremely talented. I've been saying it for a very long time. He puts together combinations great. He has great kicks, taekwondo black belt. Um, He's able to hit you from all different angles, similar to what Valiev can do to him. So it might be like a mirror match where they're going to go tit for tat and back and forth with combinations trying to, you know, one-up each other. I hit you with a spin and hook kick. Well, guess what? I'm going to tee up a spin and hook kick for you. And I, I think that's very interesting. And if you could ask for a matchup, despite the tough opponent, Valiev's a stud. This is the type of style that Day should have been fighting. You know what I mean? Like, I I think that this kind of plays to his strengths more than other matchups. But Davey Grant was able to knock him out. Um, You know, Davey Grant was throwing heavy. I think that Valiev, if you go back and you look at that last fight against Trevin Jones, was lighting him up and, uh, you know, should have had a victory there. But, you know, he he didn't get the stoppage because he, he kind of, like, hesitated a little bit. But, uh, you know, ended up getting caught with a counter shot and dropped and then finished. And that was quite the upset. It goes to show you that as long as anybody connects you on that sweet spot of your chin, you can get knocked out. So everybody's human on this card, guys. You know, nobody's invincible. invincible. It takes one shot, one error. And that's how somebody is able to pull away the victory. I will sprinkle Martin Day in a couple lineups because of that, because I know Valley is coming off of a knockout. But I do think that Valiev is able to outclass Day um, by mixing in the wrestling. I think that's going to be the difference because Valiev can go to that. 
if he needs to. If things get a little too tricky, he can take down Martin Day and start to punish him there. Yeah, the, the only thing that kind of concerns me about this this matchup is more from the DK side of things. Mm-hmm. If it ends up just being a, a striking fest and, and there's not a knockdown, it doesn't end in a finish of whether or not it scores the best. Uh, one more fight here, the opening fight of the night, a fight that came together this week as well. Uh, O'Day Osborne, who was supposed to make his UFC flyweight debut. However, this fight now will be at 145 pounds. He takes on Jerome Rivera. They were actually booked to fight each other in the January. That card ultimately we did not take place. Rivera was put on the fight island card. Now Oday uh, in this spot. This is actually now the third opponent for Oday Osborne on this card. Uh, I was really fascinated to see what Oday would look there. And I will tell you, I did a, a little while ago. I just did a dummy crunch, you know, and uh, I, I will tell you, I put in 20% randomness, two unique fighters per lineup. Oday Osborne was the one that's come out with the highest uh, ownership in terms of the amount of uh, lineups he was in, in in 150 lineups. Yeah. And I think the reason behind that is that he's, uh, you know, he was sitting at a minus 200 favorite and he's 7,800. We have two fighters here that are under the AK. So uh, I, I think that's the first time we really ever had that. And, um, you know, you have Osborne 7,800, Rivera 7,500. I think you need to roster this fight because you have guys under AK. It's pretty, pretty weird. Um, you know, one of these guys are going to get a victory, right? Unless, well, I should have said that, right? Now, oh my goodness, can you imagine if I just cursed us and we have a draw? A draw. <laughs> um, but somebody should get a victory here. So you, you know that one of these 7K options are walking away with a victory. And you can't say that for other fights. So I I think that targeting the first fight makes a ton of sense. Now, as far as a finishing perspective, you know, do they get a great performance? I don't know. I I think that obviously uh, Ode Osborne has an incredible finishing rate of 88%. He has been like a, you know, an early finisher. Um, Hasn't been the distance too often. And I wonder if he's able to compete as the fight goes on. Um, you know, I, I do know that Jerome Rivera is the underdog here, but I think that it's an interesting spot because he was just in the, just in the cage recently. Um, he was facing, uh, Davison Figueredo's brother, um, you know, came up short in that match, but Figueredo's brother wasn't able to get rid of him. So can Ode Osborne get rid of him? Now that MMA math doesn't always work, but it does give me some confidence when the guy has been in the cage more recently. You know, like I I like a guy that's been in there, has been getting the rounds, has been getting the time in the cage. So he has been acclimated. Call me crazy, but I will be obviously targeting this fight. But I might take the contrarian approach and look at Rivera a little bit more than I do Osborne ever so slightly. Yeah, I mean, I kind of wonder if O'Day was priced up at 84, 8,500, would be, you know, I, I agree with you. I think this is a fight you have to look at just because of price point. We don't know what the, the price is going to be on FanDuel, but in terms of DraftKings, I, I, you look at those price points and go, man, I got a chance to put one guy in the lineup and he's in the 7,000 range. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And uh, we're waiting on a ton of FanDuel salaries and uh, they've been pretty lazy with the salaries on both sites and they finally just released the ones for DraftKings. Still waiting on FanDuel's. Uh, Eight. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Fighters. It looks like, if you look at my sheet, it looks like I've been slacking. Trust me, I've been keeping my eyes peeled <laughs> to the websites and to the apps. They just have not been releasing them. 
Uh, um, tr- trust me, man. Today's been a bit, been a, uh, a busy day for me being at the stadium. Yeah. And uh, so about an hour before the show is when I was putting together my salary sheet. And yeah, I have eight fighters with no salary right now on FanDuel. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, let let's talk a little bit about Rivera. That what he brings to the table. Um, you know, he's a big guy, and you know has competed at 125 pounds. Obviously, this is at a catch weight. Um, but, uh, Ode Osborne doesn't really cut too much weight. Like he doesn't really cut too much weight. So I, I wonder if this being at a catch weight, does it favor one fighter over the other? Um, Rivera maybe being a little bit bigger because they had to do a catch weight because I, I'm sure that Ode Osborne could have taken it, you know, at the, obviously the low weight class, but, um, I just wonder how Osborne handles not getting an early finish. Does he yeah. does he look good over the course of 15 minutes? We'll have to see. Uh, let's go with our straight up picks, not DFS related. Before we do a little rapid fire on questions, let's start right there at bottom. Ode Osborne versus Jerome Rivera. Give me Ode Osborne. Yeah, give me Rivera. Valia versus Day. Valia. I agree. Uh, Zalal Choi. Zalal. I'm with you on that one. Uh, Lara versus Molly. Yeah, Molly McCann. I'm going to go Laura there. That's our Ooh. first uh, first uh, disagreement there. Uh, give me Carol against Jocelyn. Yeah, Rosa. Uh, I'll take Devontae Smith against Justin James. <sighs> Same. I want to pick James so bad. Give me Smith, though. Give me Mike Rodriguez. Yeah, Mike Rodriguez. I have a feeling we're going to differ on this one. I'm going to go with Diego. Okay. Yeah, I'll go with Neil Dariush. Uh, I think we're going to agree on this one, Cody Stamen. Yeah, Cody Stamen. Uh, Pantoja and Cape. I'm not sure if we're going to agree here or not. I'm going Pantoja. I'm going Pantoja as well. Okay. I didn't know if you were going to go Cape there. Uh, no. Don't feel good about it, but give me Michael Johnson. Yeah, Michael Johnson. Uh, and then I'm going to take the favorite in the main event and co-main event, uh, Sanhagen and Volkov. Agree. I agree. And that's not yeah. DFS talking, but that's just picks-wise. Like yeah. who I think is going to win, that's who I think is going to win. All right, straight up picks. Uh, let's get some rapid fires here from Samuel. Top two favorites on the card. Um, Volkov, Stamen. Uh, yeah, I agree with that, but, man, I want to say Mike Rodriguez, too. Uh, top two underdogs. I For me, I will say Laura, and the other one I will go with... Dariush. Yeah, I'm going Dariush, and... Gosh, it's ugly. I guess I'll go Rivera. Fight that could break the slate. Um, I think the first fight's really pivotal. They're both under yeah. 8K. I'm going to say... Uh... Man, I want to say Michael Johnson, Clay Guida for some reason. Okay. Highest price fighter uh, to go to pay up for. I mean, Sanhagen's not bad. I I think that. I think they're all good. I mean, I I think that I wouldn't have a problem with any of them really. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, top value. 
got to be the first fight of the night. Yeah, it has to be. Uh, top two cash, top two GPP on both DraftKings and FanDuel. So let's start off on DraftKings. My top two cash, I would say Cody Stamen, and my second one would probably be Yusuf Zalal. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, cash on FanDuel on the other side. Um, A little tough to say. Yeah, that that that's tough to say. I would probably look at because we have so many fights and we don't have salaries on that. It could, <laughs> it could change a lot, but um, I might look at Laura at thirteen dollars as a cash play with landing a bunch of strikes. Uh, oh, does get hit? Yeah, uh, you know what I'll say. Value of at sixteen is a crazy bargain. Oh, I I agree with you there. In terms of GPP on the Fanduel side of thing, Michael Johnson, I think, is someone you got to consider. Um, and then uh, Volkov at 21, I think, is another one. Agree. Uh, next up, uh, GPPs on DraftKings. Um, look, I, I think it's, you got to look at the Smith-Jane's fight. And the other one that I think you have to look at, uh, it's got to be Osborne Rivera. Yeah, because of the salary. Yeah. Uh, and then the final question we got was champion on, fan, on Super Draft. Uh, I like Alexander Volkov at a 1.8 multiplier in the champion spot. Wow. Yeah, I, I like that too. I like Volkov quite a bit. I think yeah, I like Volkov more than the industry. Yeah, I, I was surprised how, how big a, of a multiplier you got there, champion 1.8 on yeah. Volkov. I think that's definitely something to pay attention to there. Of course, coming up on Saturday, Live for Lock, we'll be here at 3 p.m. Eastern time to get you ready for UFC Vegas number 18. Of course, uh, be sure, hit that thumbs up button as you exit the show. Of course, if you're not following Osmo, be sure to do that on Twitter at Osmo underscore com. So for the fighter, Pete Rogers Jr., I am Jason Floyd, and this has been the MMA DFS Strategy Show right here on Osmo.com.